So it's Understanding Property now. Usually we ask just for your legal property questions, but we're also opening up to anything legal today just to see what else you have on your mind. So whatever you would like to ask when it comes to the law in the UAE, it doesn't have to be property or career specific. You can call in about power of attorneys, doing business in the UAE, trade licenses, for example, uh, penalties, immigration laws, etc etc the list goes on so you dictate where it goes for the next hour or so start sending in your questions right now understanding property on drive live and we'll come back to them in just a moment ludmilla yamalava is here she's a managing partner at hpl yamalava and plethka legal consultants nice to have you back Great to be here. And just before we go to the text line, let's go and tackle our legal topic this week. Minor offences will uh, now be adjudicated much faster, Ludmilla. Indeed, and this refers to actually criminal offences. This is the first law of this year, law number one of 2017, and it only applies to Dubai. And this is the law that ultimately makes the resolution or adjudication of misdemeanors uh, with regards to criminal offences much faster. So some of the examples, for example, could be... um, a traffic offense uh, or or drinking without a license so these uh, any any mis- misdemeanors that are punishable by a fine under the criminal code or the penal code would now be subject to this so-called one-day uh, uh, adjudication of a criminal case. I don't want to say uh, court because it's not really a court because the, the difference under this law is that some of these uh, minor offenses will no longer have to be referred to the criminal judge but instead will be able to be resolved by the prosecutor. And just to, um, to, kind of to, to contextualize what this means is that currently... When, for example, someone is driving, drives, and there is, um, let's say, a flat tire, and as a result of a flat tire, there's an accident. As a result, as a result of this accident, there are, for example, some uh, injuries, uh, not life-threatening, but there are injuries. The current process is that uh, the po- uh, at that point, the person who uh, who caused the accident ultimately ends up with the police to give a statement, and as a result, and this happens quite frequently, and that person often goes to jail for at least overnight or several nights. Uh, even if they themselves were medically uh, injured as well. And so then it's not to say that the person is found guilty, but the process is such that then because of the injuries involved and the case um, then gets transferred from the police to the prosecutor and then from the prosecutor to the court. And ultimately the judgment, the court judgment could be just a fine or may not be any fine because the person was found, for example, not guilty. Mm. But as, as part of that process, the case can uh, can. Um, go through the, so the all the court system for for six months plus from the police to the public prosecutor from the public prosecutor to um, to the court uh, only to for example then have a judgment uh, that that holds that person innocent mm. uh, but in in uh, during that time uh, the person's passport is seized and is with the authorities so that's sort of how the system works today so according to this new law now the a case will not have to be transferred, will not be required to be transferred to the uh, to the judge, but will instead be able to be resolved by the public prosecutor, which means, and presumably if the objective of the law is implemented uh, with the spirit of, what the, of, of th- that law, then there will be many more public prosecutors that will, for example, reside at the police stations. Therefore, in cases like that, we'll be able to look at the case and, uh, and, and if the fine is only a penalty, uh, then they will just impose that fine and then resolve that case there and then and will not have to refer to the public prosecutor. So obviously, this can, in fact, if the, if the, implement, if the law is implemented with its spirit, then cases such as 
traffic offences will be resolved in one day. That's going to make a big difference to people's lives, not having their passports taken away for six months or even longer just to because they have to take this all the way up to the courts. Mm. Also, but is there, a, is there more of a cost to this? Is it going to be more? Is, what's the expense? And right now, well, there, there won't be much of an expense again because if the case is referred to the, uh, to the judge or to the court, then obviously there's a lot more of, expense, of an expense because normally uh, people want to hire a lawyer, um, a local advocate, and then they have to pay to the local advocate to represent them. Now, and then imagine if the case goes on for six months plus, uh, which is quite typical, then the, co- the costs only increase as time goes on. And that's in addition to obviously the expenses that one may suffer as a result of not being able to work or may not be able to transfer jobs because their passport is with the authorities, which again happens quite frequently. So now if the case can be resolved in one day, the costs are quite minimal and that will only be a matter of a fine. But again, this only applies to misdemeanors that are punishable by a fine and not by a jail sentence. The list of misdemeanors has not yet been uh, published and so the, the, the Attorney General will be publishing the list of various crimes that would be subject to this law as time goes on but these are some of the examples that have already been identified by the legal practitioners uh, such as traffic offenses, uh, immigration offenses uh, and drinking without, uh, w- without a license for example. Again, all these misdemeanors that are punishable by a fine will be resolved in eventually within one day. Okay, so minor criminal offenses will be adjudicated much faster That's the major news story we're covering today. When we come back, we'll go straight to the text lines, straight to the phone lines. We're opening up for the rest of the hour with Ludmilla to answer your legal questions. It's not just property today. It can be about anything. So visas, uh, business licenses, etc., etc. Please send them in, 4001. Text line gets super busy before 6 o'clock, so please send them in as soon as possible. Understanding property. Lots of texts. Lots of texts coming in and lots of questions. We have James on the phone. Just quickly before we go to James Fitzpatrick, texts in Ludmilla. He says, hi, not sure if this question has been addressed, but uh, will we one day see a court similar to the one we were talking about before the break, uh, also operating as a small claims court as well? For example, if someone is suing somebody for a uh, a smaller amount, you know, a a massive uh, multi-million dirham amount. Uh, Yeah, what, what this particular question refers to is actually civil claims versus criminal case yeah. uh, claims. What I just addressed or discussed, it, that particular law applies to criminal cases. Now, uh, whether though we should be expecting a similar uh, court system or a similar law for civil cases for a small amount, it's a bit of a, it's a question that's drafted uh, or I guess asked a little differently because in terms of a small um, a claims tribunal, that means we actually already have that in, 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 in practice because right now when you apply to court, you only pay a percentage of a claimed amount. So if you have a small amount that you're claiming, you would only have to pay a small uh, amount to the court. But I think what the listener is really asking is not so much about the amount, but rather the process for adjudicating a particular case. Uh, This particular law does not apply to civil claims, but whether we should be expecting a similar uh, law applying to uh, commercial cases of of a smaller amount, it certainly is reasonable to expect one, but there hasn't been any announcement of one coming. All right, let's go to the phone lines. James joins us now on line one. James, thanks for coming on the show. You've got a question for Ludmilla about checks. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, um, it's a relatively small thing, I would guess, considering some of the huge things you discuss on here. But um, the landlady has asked us to change all the checks into her personal name, um, but the contract on the villa is actually in a company name. 
Um, so we, we, it just sounded a little suspicious to us, and we uh, we didn't know what the legal standing on that, whether we're still protected, um, is it safe to do so, mm. should we be questioning it? You know, I, I don't really know. I didn't good know question. where to turn to ask, really. It is actually a very good question, and these uh, cases happen quite often, and so you're asking the right question at the right time. Uh, in general, there is, if you have proper documentation to show that the per- the checks are being transferred to ultimately the owner of the company or the person to whom you're now transferring the checks has the authority to represent the landlord, then you're covered. Now, how do you do that in this particular case? So you're saying that uh, the, uh, the property is registered in the name of a company and now you're being asked to transfer or to write checks uh, in the name of an individual. So what you want to request, you you need to request proof that this, uh, that the person, the individual is is, uh, related to either related to the company or owns the company or has signatory authority. Uh, on behalf of the company. Uh, to do that, uh, there are several ways to prove that. One way, and the best way, obviously, if you look at the corporate documents of that company. So it is very much possible that the landlady, that the person you're de- dealing with, or individual, owns the company 100%. Um, so all you would need to do is just to have a copy of the trade license that shows that, for example, she is the owner of the company. If you have, if you have that, then uh, you would also want to have some kind of a confirmation from her that, uh, from the company that is, that when you transfer, when you make payments to her individually, that the company signs off that they've actually accepted um, the payment or the payment for that property has been authorized. Um, so that's okay. one way of doing it. The other way, if she is not the owner, for example, but let's say she's a manager of the company or she is one of the owners, uh, then once again, you want to have two things. One is... Um, Ultimately, you want to have a confirmation from the company itself, but make sure that it's signed by someone who has the uh, signing authority to bind the company, uh, that they acknowledge that this payment to the individual is legitimate and that is made on behalf of the company. Uh, so you want to have a confirmation, one, and two, I mean, the ideal way is, is if also the uh, um, the person or the individual has a power of attorney, for example, uh, from the company, again, that gives her the right uh, to make decisions or to accept payments on behalf of the company. So really, it's just a matter of proof. James, I hope that okay. helps you out. Thank you so much. Great question. Perfect. Thank Thanks you for calling much. in. All right, let's go to the text line. Tim, anything that stands out in particular? Uh, let me see here. This is an interesting question. This is slightly different uh, on understanding property, but it is wider today. Hello, says Christina. I'm interested in representing a Brazilian juice brand here. How to proceed? Where do you start there, Ludmilla? Okay, well, so there are two parts to it. One is um, uh, the right to uh, do business or conduct business in the UAE, and two is the right to actually represent this Brazilian company. Uh, so these are sort of two legal relationships, if you will. Uh, with regards to uh, representing the Brazilian juice brand here, then you, you, you need to make sure that you have the agreement with the Brazilian brand that gives you the right to represent them here. And you need to make sure, obviously, that the details of the terms and conditions of that particular representation and relationship are, uh, are well defined. For example, and one of the sort of the key points would be, would you be representing them exclusively in the UAE or would this be a non-exclusive arrangement? So this is very important. And so one is the agreement with the Brazilian company. The other one is for you now to have a legal capacity to actually conduct business in the UAE. To do that, you would need to have your own trade license. You would need to open your own company. And this company could um, either have this agreement with the Brazilian company or it could actually be a branch or an affiliate of, of the Brazilian company directly. In other words, 
the company in the UAE could be owned either by you 100% or whatever proportion, uh, or it could be owned by the Brazilian company in part and part by you. And depending on where you want to be set up, uh, if if you're in the free zone that you can you and the Brazilian company could own. Uh, the company or the business here without uh, having to bring in a local um, investor or a local partner. But if you are registered outside of the um, uh, free zone and under DED, then you would require a local partner. And so, but in general, sort of as, as a quick wrap up, it's, it's quite complicated and, and loaded question. But as a general wrap up, if you want to do any business in the UAE, you are required to have a local license from the local authorities to do business here. So it's not enough for you to just uh, work off of the license in Brazil. All right, there you go. Hope that helps you out. Uh, you can send us any of your legal questions today. It is understanding property, but we're uh, widening this out to any kind of legal issues that you may be facing at the moment. When we come back, we'll get to this text. Uh, this has no name on it, but it's about uh, visas here in the UAE. We're a family of four, myself, two daughters on husband's visa. Husband is leaving. They want to stay. So we'll get some advice from you on that one, Ludmilla, in just a moment. Understanding property on Drive Live. Not just property today, we're extending it to other legal issues. So if you have anything to ask Ludmilla today, you can. Trade licenses. We've got one text in here about uh, business, uh, running a business here in the UAE, immigration laws, etc., etc. Let's jump straight back into the text line. Here is the first one to come back to Ludmilla. No name on this, but someone says, hey guys, I have a question regarding visas. We're a family of four, myself and my two daughters, on our husband's visa. Uh, a husband thinking of leaving his job here and taking a employment elsewhere with us joining him in only one year after our kids finish high school. Is there any way I can arrange a residence visa for me and my uh, kids so that we can stay for this year? Uh, yes, in short, there are three ways of doing it, and I'm not sure if either any one of them would apply to the listener. Um, the um, first one, if um, if you have an employment, um, so that would be on the basis of your employment. However, for women, it's a little it's a little different um, than it is for males. So you would have to show that you uh, earn X amount of money, and we know that in a, a certain kind of a job in order for you to be able to sponsor your children. And she's actually just said, "I'm not employed at the end okay, of that." Okay, so text, obviously, so that will not that, that will not be an option. The other option is if you own property. And if the property is worth more than a million dirhams, then you can you can also get a visa, a residence visa for yourself and the whole family, uh, and it would be done through the land department. Uh, the third way of doing it is basically is, is if you don't have um, if you don't own property, is just opening up your own company, and so and that is possible, and you could do that through uh, various uh, free zones, and um, you would have to open your own company, and then uh, and then you would get what's called an investor or shareholder visa, and on the back of that you would be able to sponsor your dependents. So those are basically three ways of doing it. Okay, here's another text in. It is bought health insurance for my wife. Cover included pregnancy. Six months later, uh, my wife got pregnant. On renewing the insurance for the second year, I was asked to pay an additional 14000 dirhams. Uh, what are the legal ramifications of that? Well, it's interesting. The insurance contract is a commercial agreement. So it's a commercial contract and it's up to the parties to negotiate. So in short, there are two ways of doing it. One, if you believe that somehow you're being treated unfairly, there is a committee uh, or the uh, 
uh, sort of authority that deals with insurance or covers or regulates insurance uh, practices and insurance companies. So you could uh, lodge a complaint with them and see if they could uh, interfere. And and uh, but it will be up to them to decide whether uh, the practices are being uh, unreasonable. The other way of doing it, and a lot of the time people don't really think about it, but it's the simplest thing to do, is to just find a different insurance. So you are not bound to continue on with the same insurance. And I will tell you because we do this a lot for us uh, as as my law firm for you know obviously my employees but also for our clients is that we do quite extensive research uh, across insurance companies and there are so many different plans and and often you will not when you contact the insurance uh, often you go through insurance brokers not insurance companies directly Uh, but when you do contact them either the insurance company or the brokers they will not necessarily give you the cheapest uh, plan or the best plan so you really need to kind of go through the nitty-gritty the details of the coverage and and ask them for example to remove coverage that's not important to you and add other coverage that is important to you and you would be surprised what a massive discrepancy or disparity there is between very similar plans but just different insurance companies only if you ask the right question. So for example, there are a lot of insurance plans that by default they'll offer you an insurance plan that covers uh, covers you around the world. Well, it may be that you don't really need that kind of world coverage and but if so if you have that removed and then but then add for example a more extensive network of, of hospitals here then the cost could either be the same or lower mm-hmm. uh, and so and so on and so forth so you just really need to to be assertive and proactive about um, about you know these, these plans and and the coverage and you might be surprised how much choice there is there and and you may be able to lower your insurance payments and get better coverage it's worth going online as well there are a number of comparing uh, comparison websites that you can use to look at different types of cover which gives you an idea and then go and negotiate mm. as well. I hope that helps out David joins us now on line three David it's my understanding you're going through some kind of salary dispute is that right hi yes that's, that's correct go yeah. ahead um, well, the situation is, I had a contract for the calendar year of 2016 with uh, establishment to deliver uh, classes and part-time workshops. Um, so I attended for the calendar year 2016 and received payment no problem. So when I returned in January, I worked January and my salary was late and they said it, it will be coming, uh, it will be coming. So then I worked February. And again, the salary was late. And in chasing this up, I was told that the whole department is undergoing a revamp, the HR is being restaffed, et cetera, et cetera, just bear with us. And then I was told that to release the January, February payment, I have to sign a new contract. So I received this about five days ago. And reviewing it, it's the salary has dropped 2000 a month. Mm. So my question is, uh, it, in my opinion, it's been retrospectively dropped because I worked January and February without a contract in in good faith, assuming that the 2016 terms would be honored. And then uh, in trying to claim back this eight weeks that I'm owed, I've been issued with a contract 2,000 a month less and told that's the only way that they can release these funds. So the funds will be released, but under the new contract, they will be 2,000 a month less. So my question is, Are they duty-bound to pay me on the old rate, which I assumed I was working under, 
um, or can they retrospectively reduce the rate? Uh, that, I, that I was owed. Good question. Go ahead. Yes, very good question. So in short, no, they cannot retrospectively amend your contract. So your, uh, your employment for January and February uh, would be considered, uh, let's say, implicit contract. So there, there was no express contract um, that extended your employment for 2017, in particular those two months, then uh, the court would look at it as implicit contract. So uh, you you are and the employer is bound to pay you as per uh, your, your previous terms and conditions, even if it was implicitly done so. Now, with regards to the new um, new month, or I guess new contract, it's up to you whether you want to accept it. But if you do accept it, as you said, it would be uh, prospective but not retrospective. So, who does he go to to actually try and get this money? I would recommend, depending on the amount, uh, I guess the margin that you're talking about, the difference. Uh, I would I would start with just. Uh, negotiating with employer and making it very clear to them that legally speaking they do they cannot um, you, uh, amend the contract retros- retrospectively and sub- single-handedly so they require your consent to do so and so therefore if you don't consent then they are, they're bound by uh, the previous terms and conditions but you need to be prepared that that will, they will not accept that argument and then your only recourse then will be either to go to court or just walk away so it really will um, will come down to how much is at stake but I would always start with just negotiating with them and explain to them legally that they have no grounding. David, thank you so much for your call. Wish Fantastic. you all the best. That's great. All right. Cheers. Okay, zero four forty three ten ten. You can get in touch with us and the show today. Ludmilla is here through six o'clock. Lots and lots of your legal questions to answer. We'll come back and answer Muhammad's next. I'm an expat Muslim. My wife is Christian. Uh, if something were to happen to us, what would happen to our daughter? We'll come back. We'll get the legal perspective from Ludmilla on that and more in just a moment. Understanding Property on Drive Live. To answer your legal questions, usually it's just about property, but today we're extending that uh, to anything really legally here in the UAE. If you have any issues at uh, hand, you just don't know how to deal with them, please get in touch. 4001. So many texts to get to. Uh, we'll have to continue this again next week, but uh, let's just delve straight back in. Ludmilla, here is another question for you. Um, and I read this out just before the break there. I'm an expat. Muslim, my wife is Christian. If something were to happen to us, what would happen to our daughter? Please keep in mind, I do have some family living here. That's in from Muhammad. Well, uh, first of all, I guess there's sort of there are two aspects to it. One is regarding the daughter or the guardianship, and the other one regarding the estate. So, with regards to the estate, what you can do because you are Muslim and your wife is Christian, you actually can will one third of your estate to uh, to to a non-heir. And because she's Christian and the Sharia, she will be a non-heir. So, with regards to that, you can you can will your estate one third of your estate uh, to her. And with regards to your daughter, it much depends on under which law you were. Um, you were married and um, what, not, what religion I guess your daughter holds so if um, she is Muslim then she will be covered by Sharia and then at that point it will be whatever whoever the, the relevant relatives are at the time of your passing uh, that, um, that, that basically would come into play but she would be covered under Sharia uh, obviously, you can always, all the heirs and, and the family can agree at the time um, on a different disposition and different guardianship rights, but you have to be mindful that, that your daughter is um, Muslim, then, then she would be covered by Sharia. Okay, here's another question for you, completely different. What can a small business uh, do about a client that is refusing to pay an invoice, even though there's a clear contract in place and the service has been delivered? 
Well, there's actually um, an expedited way of addressing claims like this in the courts, and that is on the back of an invoice. So the key document here would be actually the invoice uh, and not so much the uh, the contract. Ideally, what you want to do, and, and if you have this kind of evidence, you, you would be able, to be able to avail yourself of this option, is that you have an invoice and a receipt or some kind of confirmation that the other party has received either the services or the goods. And if there's that sort of a confirmation, then you don't even need to go through uh, through enforcing the contract through courts, but you just show that here here's the here's acknowledgement that they've received my services, and here's the invoice um, that has been acknowledged. So there is a much more uh, a faster and a cheaper process of of doing it through court if you have that kind of documentation. If you don't have that sort of documentation, then you need to go uh, and uh, and and claim enforcement of contract, which obviously um, then there's a cost to it and. Uh, it's it's more of a commercial decision to uh, to make whether it makes sense for you to pursue enforcement of that contract through courts or just just walk away. But mm. for the future, what there's another option, and that is called. And a listener earlier asked about the uh, the small claims um, court system. So there is actually one that I failed to mention earlier through the DFC courts. So in other words, the DFC courts <coughs> a few years ago there was a new law um, that was issued allowing parties to contract into the DIFC and. And these parties do not need to have any kind of contact or relationship with the DIFC. And and the DIFC does have what's called a small claims tribunal. So that particular forum is actually aimed to resolve cases much faster and much cheaper. And in fact, uh, at this point, at least, uh, lawyers are not allowed to represent clients. So it's really just parties representing themselves, which makes it much that much more uh, that's much much more I guess cheaper and more efficient. Uh, so, so all those commercial parties out there, bear in mind that in your contracts you can include the DIFC Small Claims Tribunal as your forum for dispute resolution. And uh, to do that, just go on the DIFC Small Claims Tribunal, Tribunal website and copy the language. They have a suggested language that you need to include in your contract if you want to avail yourself of that uh, dispute resolution. And I will tell you, it's quite effective uh, if uh, for no other reason than it's all in English. So if you are a company and uh, most of your agreements are in English, English, you will at least have to, you will avoid uh, the necessity of having to translate agreements and, and argue them in, in Dubai courts in Arabic. Just before we go to the phone, phone lines, here's another question in from Sabid who says, Hey Ludmilla, a friend of mine owes me a fair amount of money as part of an apartment we shared back in 2009. I have emails confirming what he owes me, but no proof of transaction or contracts. He was in a financial turmoil due to the market conditions for a while, hence I gave him a breather in uh, returning the cash to me. Now he refused us to pay, even though he can afford to. Is there any legal recourse for this? Absolutely. Uh, emails is also a form of proof. Um, and um, they are, if, if obviously, depending on the format and the content of these emails. But if they're quite clear that he's acknowledged that he owes you that amount, they are the equivalent uh, type of proof as, for example, even the money transfer. So absolutely, you can use those emails in court. Uh, but the only way you would have to, if, if, the, if your friend, so-called friend, no longer responds to you, the only way for you to pursue this is to actually file a claim in court and present these emails and we do, you'll have to translate them into Arabic uh, but they are absolutely considered by courts the same way as any other evidence. There you go, hope that helps you. Naj is on line four with us now. Naj, uh, you've got a medical hi. insurance uh, question for Ludmilla? Question, yes. Go um, ahead. Hi everyone. Um, the question is, so basically I've got a Fujera visa, alright, I've sponsored my wife and my daughter and my wife has got my NOC to work in a school, alright. 
So the school is going to provide the uh, the medical insurance for uh, my wife and daughter. Now I spoke to a broker saying that my wife and daughter will be on a medical insurance. All right. So they have given me quotations, but they cannot process it till they actually see a a physical medical for both of them. Um, but I have asked them, asked the school, to give me a letter saying. and um making sure that you know my wife and daughter are covered under their medical insurance which i have already got and i have submitted that but i still cannot get a medical insurance that so is odd. there any any um insurance uh, medical insurance company where i can go and apply for my Uh, personal medical okay. insurance. Okay, Ludmila, we've got about me. 30 seconds. Go y- ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of insurances out there um, offer personal health insurance coverage, so it depends on your circumstances and your preferences. But I absolutely, I would just, you know, as, as crude as it may sound, but just go on Google and just type uh, UAE or, or Dubai insurance companies, and you'll have a whole list. And then the best way to do it I've is just to call that. them directly. Yeah, I've done that. But what this, I just want to check if there is a particular law that where I have to submit my dependents, uh, my my, uh, my wife and my daughter's insurance to the insurance company to get an insurance for me. Not that I know of. No, I, I think this may be just be a, a particular preference of this insurance company. I'm not aware of any law that requires that. But there, there's plenty of information right now on the internet from the insurance um, committee or insurance authorities. Um, for so, if, if if there's, I recommend you just research that. But it sounds like to me it's more of a insurance, individual insurance preference uh, than a, a legal right. requirement. Nudge, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. It goes super super quickly, it doesn't does. it? So many more of your questions coming in. We don't have time to answer them today. Please, please get them in early. We say this every week, but please keep it in mind. Put even pop it in your diary. Put an, uh, a little a uh, notice for yourself next Monday from five o'clock. That's when Ludmilla is here in studio with us. So just pop in your texts as soon as you can, and uh, it's pretty much first in best dress. So the first people who get their texts in, or the first people who call, will get their questions answered next week from five o'clock. Uh, lots more questions coming in for example. about clubhouse fees about noisy neighbors if you would like those questions answered please resend them again next week a big thank you to Ludmilla Yamalova who is the managing partner at HBL Yamalova and Plethka Legal Consultants we'll see you again next week see you then thank you